The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Latter-day Lives podcast. My name is Sean Rapier. I am your host. And this is episode 24, and I'm going to apologize in advance if this opening and the closing are not the best audio quality. I'm actually recording this from a hotel room. It's New Year's Eve, and we are in Times Square, uh, at a hotel right in Times Square. Pretty exciting place to be, but uh, not the best place to record. It's actually quite loud in here, so... Please uh, excuse any external noise, but what a great show we have for you this week. First of all, Happy New Year. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're so glad you're here this week and every week. We really appreciate it. My guest this week, Brad McBride, is a guy I've followed for a while now. He has a blog he's been running for many years. He's going to tell you all about it. It's called Middle-Aged Mormon Man, and if you're not already a reader of it, I highly recommend you follow it as well as on his personal Facebook page. He does the Sunday night check-in, which is one of my favorite things in the world. Brad is just a fantastic guest, and uh, you're just going to love him. And this week in my Latter-day life, at the end of the show, I'm going to tell you about a fascinating experience we had going to church this morning here in New York. So uh, that's really about it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And it is my pleasure to have here in the studio with me a middle-aged Mormon man. Now, there is a middle-aged Mormon man in the studio every week. That's <laughs> me. So, But this week, you got two middle-aged Mormon men. Brad McBride is my guest today, and Brad is the author of the blog, Middle-Aged Mormon Man. Brad, welcome. Great to be here. And we couldn't get two more middle-aged Mormon manish <laughs> than this. Yeah, I would say middle-aged Mormon and man. Are three, I don't know if man is the first one that comes to mind with people, but speak for yourself. Yeah, something like that. So, Brad, if you have not checked out his blog, uh, Middle Aged Mormon Man, it's, I think, the easiest way to follow is through Facebook, but also on your website. Right. Yeah, it is a fantastic blog, and we're going to hear a little bit about it and kind of how it got started. But first of all, let's learn about the man himself, Brad. Brad, tell us about yourself a little bit. Where were you born and where'd you grow up? I was. Born and raised in Bountiful, Utah, till I hit 15 years old, and then my parents, against my wishes, dragged us to the scorching desert of Arizona. Oh my! Yeah, you know, when we moved there, I actually expected people to be riding horses through the streets of Scottsdale, <laughs> and they were, and they were, there they were horses in Scottsdale. <clears throat> yeah, and then as quickly as I could, I got out of there and went back up to BYU, but ended up settling in Gilbert. I've been there for 27 years with my Wife, five kids. Wow. Gilbert, Arizona. So where does Gilbert sit geographically? It's just a little bit south of Mesa. South of Mesa. Okay. Yeah. It was tiny. It was like 30,000 people when we moved in and now it's about a quarter million. Wow. It's a a mission. has its own temple. Sheesh. It's just grown like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. We had, I actually had in the MTC, I had two roommates, one from Mesa and one from Apache Junction, Mm -hmm. if you know where that is. I do. Yeah. I had some Arizona boys there. So you moved to Arizona when you were 15. Your family, all members of the church? Yes. 
Yeah, so you were raised in the church? I was. Yeah, so what took you guys from the promised land of Utah <clears throat> from out, Zion? To the, out to the wilds of Arizona? My dad got a job transfer. It yeah. was uh, New York City or Phoenix, Arizona. Oh. And he didn't think he could afford New York, and so yeah. he went to Arizona. And That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So uh, what was the adjustment like <clears throat> at age 15? It was tough. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I kept a journal, a pretty extensive journal, oh, the yeah. summer that we moved. And if you went back and read that journal, you would think that I was the most depressed, horribly abused <laughs> child in the history of mankind. I hate it here, Mom yeah, and Dad. It was, I wish they'd let me go home. And I hate <laughs> it. And I can't believe they'd do this to me. And yeah, I was just a real stinker. And yet now you're an Arizona yeah, resident. I, I stuck it out. Yeah. yeah. The hardest part was the transition from going to a, a homogenous LDS community in Bountiful yeah. to being one of only you know, three kids my age in the high school that were right. yes. Right. And yeah. that, that took took me back. It was, it was mm. a new experience. See, and I did the reverse. I grew up in San Jose, California, where we had, you know, Mormons, but not a ton. Right. And then moved to Linden, Utah, where, you know, we're surrounded. Plenty of Mormons here. Yep. So uh, you graduate high school in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And then where did that take you? BYU. BYU. Freshman year. Yeah. <clears throat> Don't know how they invited me back, but they did. Yeah. Uh, mission to Chile, Viña del Mar. Viña del Mar. So you served two missions north of where I was. Where I was in Cons- Osorno. Osorno. Okay. So it's what? It's Osorno, Concepcion, right. and then Viña? Right. Right? My sister was in Conce. Oh, yeah. Same time. So we're all covering all this. We are. Yeah. I was <clears> down <throat> in Osorno, down in the cold. And then back to BYU, and then back to Arizona. Yeah. Married. Awesome. How'd you meet your wife? I was her gospel doctrine teacher. Oh, my. And she mentioned to one of her friends that she liked my hair. Oh, wow, really? And that was enough to set things in motion, and here we are. Yeah, that's fantastic. How long have you been married? 31 years. Wow. And you have five kids. Five kids, yeah. What's the age range on your kids? I have a daughter that's just about 30. She uh, is recently married. I've got a, a son that's 20. Six. That's got two kids. Just had a brand new baby. That's why we're yeah. up here in Utah right now, is to see the new grandson. Yeah. Got a son that's on a mission in Mexico that comes home in six weeks. Awesome. Got another son that's a couple years married that they're having a boy in January. He's the only one that's back in the valley. Yeah. And then a, a fifteen-year-old. Wow. So you got grandkids <clears throat> all over the place now. Two. I've only got two right but now. But I mean, they're, they're coming. Though. We're in grandparent. Yeah, mode. you're in grandparent timing. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. How is it being a grandparent? <laughs> you know, when you have a brand new grandchild, everybody's like, oh, isn't being a grandpa the greatest thing? And you know, it gets better after like they get to the point where they can start communicating with you. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. when they're just crying and pooping, they're really not that entertaining. <laughs> and hopefully my, none of my kids will be listening to this. If they are, I'm sorry. I love your children. <laughs> But they are a lot more fun now that they can play and go outside oh, and go for I'm walks. I'm the same way. I love babies. You know, I've got a nephew. <clears throat> I mean, my youngest is 14, but I've got a nephew who's not even one yet. Just had his first Christmas, and he's a lot of fun. He's now starting to discover things. But the older they get, man, when they can run around, you can joke around with them. That's a fun time. Feed them things you're not supposed to. Yeah, stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. You, you, are you going to be that grandpa who kind of gets even with your kids by... <laughs> There's no rules at grandpa's house. Yeah, I love that. So your background, what's your background work-wise? Um, I started out uh, in uh, government, 
Mm. Um, working in court diversion programs, like traffic school for bad check writers and shoplifters and stuff like oh, that. Oh, wow. Did that for a little bit, got laid off. I'll bet you were a great... Did you actually teach the traffic school? Sometimes. Most times I was organizing them, working with oh, the I wish you DAs were, see, and stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy traffic school sometimes. See, I got my first <laughs> ticket in eight years tonight wow. on the way here. So <clears throat> I don't get tickets. Lousy. First time in eight years. I've been pulled over eight times and never get the ticket. Oh, see, you have that face. I don't. I do. It's just the I wreak honesty. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, so is. you were doing that. And then that fizzled I got out. laid off and I thought, oh my goodness, I don't ever want to get laid off again. So over the years I started my own business and I've been working in it ever since. What do you do? I mean, advertising. Yeah. What kind of, I mean, do you have a specialty area? You know, we're mostly in the dying world of print, but we're moving over to, uh, to digital. Very and, cool. Uh, it's good. Was that what you studied for? No, actually I studied political science. So when I got out of school, <laughs> I'm the only graduate in the history of BYU that studied political science that actually went and worked in political in science. In political science, yeah. And see how yeah. far that got you. It got me two years. <laughs> <laughs> and then move along. So <clears throat> yep. now before we get into your blog, Middle Aged Mormon Man, mm-hmm. um, have you always been a writer? You said you wrote in your journal quite a bit. Have you like do you have you always had a skill for writing? Uh, the journal writing was more whining. Yeah. You know, if you go through my entire life's journals, I only write when I'm having a bad day. Really? And so if you go back through my youth and when I wrote journals, you would think I was a pretty miserable person, but that's just the way I vented, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, so it's not it's not that. I've always kind of enjoyed it, but never really did it that much. Mm. Um, it's time consuming. And I always yeah, have other things to worry long. about, like, you know, making a living and things like that. <laughs> and it's just, but yeah. Now it's more part of my life than it was before. So before, again, before we jump into it, I, I love, I do a lot of script writing and, you know, I've done some marketing writing, but man, writing is just long. It's just hard. It's hard. It's hard to take. So I have a tremendous respect for it. It's why I do a podcast because I can just talk and (laughs) it's over. We press stop and it's, and it's over. So, yeah, but I got to admit, a lot of my writing is a lot more like that. You just sit down and start typing, and when you're done, you hit publish, and yeah. it goes up. Yeah. I I never learned how to type the right way. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those, all, I'm super fast, but I'm all over the place. So, um, so how did Middle-Aged Mormon Man come about? I wasn't very familiar with the blogging world in the LDS Church. I was familiar with what they called the bloggernacle. And it didn't hold much appeal to me. The bloggernacle. I I don't know that I know <clears throat> that word. It's just a, a collective term for LDS blogs. Oh, okay. But when I read them, I didn't really like the direction a lot of them went. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of a purist and pretty orthodox in my beliefs. And I didn't have time to blog. Um, but then the day came that um, I got released from being bishop. Mm. I served as a bishop for five years. And I got released, and I suddenly had all of this time on my hands. <laughs> because during that stint as bishop, I was also the president of a charitable organization in Mozambique called Care for Life. Oh, tell us it, a little bit about that. <clears throat> it's a wonderful charity that goes into Africa and teaches families how to take care of themselves. Oh, incredible. They don't give them stuff. They don't bring in truckloads of clothes or truckloads of food. They teach people how to plant gardens. They teach people how to read. They teach people how to have clean water. They don't do the stuff for them, but they teach them how. And it's wildly successful. It's it's to date the best humanitarian charity I've ever seen before. Oh, so so teaching people to take care of themselves rather than giving them things, that should be a gospel principle. Oh, gee, you think? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Yeah. That's <clears throat> awesome. Did you get to go down to Mozambique? Oh yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. down there a half dozen times. Yeah. Really? It was great. Incredible. Great experience. So you suddenly find you got all this time cause you're no longer, you know, at least at the head of that charity, you're no longer a Bishop, which I have never been a Bishop. My dad was a Bishop. The number of hours is incredible. Yeah. And there's no schedule for a bishop. No. When I got it's, released, I was able to drop my my minutes on my phone contract by 75%. <laughs> it's true. I'm I have no doubt because I just remember there were times, you know, it's it's Christmas Eve, it's you know, middle of Fourth of July, whatever. Somebody has a need, they have a need. You yeah. know, these things come up. That's right. So you find that you have all this time. What got you started on a blog? Well, I was still in the mode of studying hard and I still had some things that I thought I wanted to say, but I no longer had a calling with a pulpit. Yeah. No vehicle. You yes, didn't have no vehicle. Pulpit. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to write this down mm. and put it up on a blog just for myself. And if anybody wants to read it, they can read it. And because there's a, a need to not fail spectacularly, I started my blog anonymously. The first four years, I was completely anonymous. I remember you wrote about that recently, about how it used to be anonymous. Yeah. So what was, when you first put it out there, did you tell anybody? Nobody. My wife didn't even know for the first few months. My kids didn't know the first year. My siblings didn't know for more than a year. Really? This was was just your own? anonymous. Your own thing? Yeah. So when people, who was the first person that found out? I eventually told my wife just because I couldn't stand it anymore. And she sat up one night and read all my posts. And I how, was, how many posts were you into it by then? Oh, probably 40. Wow. I've written 1,100. So how did your... Okay, wow. I didn't realize there had been 1,100 posts. <clears throat> yeah, it's kind of weird because if you do my word count, it's almost the same as the entire volumes of Harry Potter put together <laughs> without the revenue. <laughs> That's impressive. I'd rather read your blog than Harry Potter. I'm not a Harry <laughs> Potter guy. So, um, but so how did your wife respond? I mean, was she excited for you? Was she shocked that you hadn't shared? Was she a little bit angry? Like- no, 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 no. She's, she's been nothing but totally supportive. She was glad that I'd found a vehicle. Yeah. Um, and that I was keeping myself busy and it also, it, it was very selfish when it began yeah. because it was a way to force me to stay in the scriptures and to keep thinking about important things. And finding new ways to teach them and communicate them. And so she thought that was a good thing. She's not been very supportive. And the blog has been running seven years now. Yeah, I just crossed that line. So I've month. only known it for the first or for the last, the past couple of years, but so I didn't read any of the early stuff. I haven't gone back to those times right. um, where uh, has it always been kind of similar to the format it is now? Kind of a, your thoughts? I used to write more often. It was more. There'd be the serious stuff on Sunday and more goofy stuff during the week. And I don't do as much goofy stuff during the week. I'm probably not as funny, per se, as I used to be. But part <laughs> think, of that's just because of I think time. your blog is still funny, by the way. <laughs> well, I find you. it very funny. Yeah. I'm glad. I, but there was just some ridiculous stuff before that I'd throw. You know, you throw things at the wall. And when you're anonymous, there's no fear, right? Yeah, why not, right? Right. Yeah. But I got to say, and, and we talked about this earlier, that when I'm talking about religious things, I'm talking about religious things and there's an element of respect and sacredness that you don't want to cross the line into silliness. Yeah. That's a, that's a tight rope that I've tried to walk all seven years of being 
um, respectful of the faith and of all things sacred, yet still having fun yeah. when I can. Yeah. I I love that about your blog. I love that about your your whole personality. I try to do the same thing where separating out the gospel from the church. I don't, I you know, there's, there are people who, it's light-mindedness. And there is a fine line. You know, there's there's certainly humor. It's funny when you listen to the apostles, you know that humor is appreciated. You mm-hmm. know, some of them are just downright funny. Right. You know, and, and a lot of the conference talks, there are plenty of jokes <clears throat> made. Never about sacred things. Right. Never at the expense of people. I think that the apostles and uh, the prophet and the general authorities are a great example of how to have humor about the church and about ourselves. Right. So, well, they also have an advantage. They have that conference humor factor where anything they say that's remotely funny is multiplied by a hundred. <laughs> I know that. I've, <clears throat> I've noticed that because sometimes I do. I like. I'll laugh hysterically at something and then afterward go. Yeah, that wasn't that funny. Yeah, yeah. If you told the same joke at the dinner table, all you'd give is some eye rolls. Yeah, exactly. If you tell it over the pulpit in general conference, it makes the news. I think there's a certain amount of weight to to the fact of who said it. Yes. You know, I think there's a little bit of when, uh, I think when President Nukdorf says an unnamed diet beverage. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That, that, was, uh, that was just funny. The hallelujahs rang from the hills that yes, day. Yes. Uh, my favorite was seeing the internet meme the next day. They'd taken Diet Coke and changed it to Dieter Coke. <laughs> that was <laughs> fantastic. But uh, so you were writing. How did you first get people? I mean, <clears throat> seven years ago, how did you first get people to know about the blog? If you're anonymous, you can't say. Or did you ever say, by the way, I found this crazy good blog. I don't know who writes it. You should check it out. I, I wish I wish I would have been that <laughs> devious, but I wasn't. What I did is I read some other people's blogs and I kind of got into this group of of bloggers at the time that were writing fun stuff, not very churchy, but they were all LDS. Um, And I would make comments on their blog and then they would follow me back on my blog and Mm. read it. And it kind of spread out from there. And then it just kind of got a life of its own. Then I started posting things onto Facebook and that kind of took off from there. Yeah. Never imagined I'd have many readers as I do. Yeah. What, what do you think your, I mean, what's your average readership right now? I don't know. It depends on the post. Depends, but you know, yeah, there's a, there's a couple sure. couple million hits a year. You know, and, that's amazing. And some months, you know, probably twenty thousand. Yeah, unique readers a month, probably. What was the first blog post? Is is there one early on that you really remember that like? Okay, I've really struck a nerve here. Yeah, and you, and you said that just right. I struck a nerve. I talked about reverence. Yeah, in church and about how it's learned mm-hmm. and. Boy, some people went crazy about it good. Some people went crazy about it bad. And it stirred up a lot of conversation. I wasn't trying to stir up contention. I was just giving my view. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot of interest on that. And that pulled in a whole new batch of readers that were interested in in that. Because it wasn't done with a, a way to insult or damage anybody. It was just like my views on, on reverence and how you can help your family be more reverent in church. I absolutely believe that it is learned. I'm a believer in that, you know, mm-hmm. we see, and, and, you know, I think that most families really try their best. Um, and I also think that there is a culture within wards that we've noticed that oh, there's yeah. a certain amount of tolerance, depending on the ward you go to of how much kids are screaming or jumping up and down or 
It's funny, we were talking to a friend of ours who served in one of the Scandinavian countries, and I can't remember. I can't remember which one it was, but he was telling us the story that they never, ever told their children what to do. And so sacrament meeting was a playground free for all. And that at one point there was a loud noise and he looked behind him and in, in during, in the middle of sacrament meeting, there were kids, they had a jump rope, <laughs> they were jumping <laughs> rope in the aisles. Nice. So it can get a little bit out of hand. Yeah. So did you find that, I mean, did you lose readers <clears throat> at that point or were there people who were just, Oh, I'm sure I lose some every time I write something. I mean, yeah, I can track that if I really wanted to. I used to watch the numbers very carefully and now I don't anymore, but mm-hmm. Every post I write, somebody will write and say, this was meant for me. This is the perfect thing for me. And somebody will also write about the same post. That was the worst thing I ever read. And you get wonderful things sometimes. Like, it's people like you who give Mormons a bad name. Really? Sure. I get tons of hate mail. I've saved some of it. I want to make a collage of it sometime. What 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 hate mail have you gotten that's really – has there been any that's really hurt? Or do you just go, you know what, people have issues? Nah. I've got a pretty thick skin. Yeah. You know, coming off of being a bishop, yeah, gives you pretty thick skin to start with because you know, sure, if somebody's not mad at you when you're bishop, you're not doing your job. <laughs> sure, and Absolutely. so yeah, that's never really bugged me that much. Sometimes you're, it, it hurts your feelings a little bit, and you just get past it and say, you know what, I believe I think what people, I believe. I think people hide behind writing in a way. I mean, people will write something. In in fact, it's quite funny. There's a, there's a, a YouTube series where they take um, real people like professional sports, you know, athletes or singers or whatever. And someone has written horrific things about them. Oh, mean tweets. Yeah. No, it's not mean oh, tweets. Okay. They actually take this person to the person's house who wrote that and oh. knock on the door and the person opens the door and it's, Oh my gosh, it's you. Yeah. You wrote this about me and they'll go, Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. People, you know, I mean, behind anonymity, I think it's one thing people feel like, uh, what are you going to do? But it's interesting how, how people will, will react. Do you remember the first feedback or comment that you got that made you think, wow, I'm really making a difference. Um, or or is there one early on that you remember? Well, well, there's, there's been ones where I've early on where I had people saying, my husband won't ever listen to anything about the church. And he heard me laughing the other day and said, what are you reading? So I read him your blog post mm. and now I read him the blog posts. And yeah. so that was a way in that marriage to talk about the church. Yeah. Things like that happen. And it's very satisfying because you're reaching people that sometimes through a vehicle of comedy that you could never reach or just, a a relaxed way of approaching a subject where people aren't defensive about it. Yeah. Yeah. Some of our listeners may remember, uh, a post that, that meant a lot to me right before Thanksgiving, when we had our no complaint Thanksgiving, that one really, I don't know why that post really got to me because, you know, here it is. It was such a, a thing where I realized I complain a lot. And it's Thanksgiving. It was such a, I was going down the same path you were. Family's coming. Mm, I don't know that I want some of these people to come. I don't want to, you know, it's going to be a long day and whatever. I'm already complaining about Thanksgiving. I thought that was a really cool post. So the challenge in that post was to not complain at all yeah. the week of Thanksgiving. So how did you do? I, I did okay. I will say I did okay. I did okay. It was hard. I was not perfect. It's very hard. Hard. Yeah. And so what I started doing 
was if I started going down the path of complaining, I'd do kind of a boomerang to bring it back because mm-hmm. I'd go, Oh, can you believe that she did? I can't believe she said that. And she, and, but you could tell she was trying hard to be kind and she's a lovely <laughs> soul. And I just love her. <laughs> did I save it? <laughs> you live in, you leave in uh, tire marks in the driveway, yeah, that's, right? That's, backing up. that's pretty much what it is. It was, yeah, uh, I found that to be ridiculously hard. And if you go back through my blog over the last seven years, and, and you read carefully, you can see what things I I struggle with yeah. because I write about them. Because for me, that's a challenge. Yeah. You know? And so. Have you have you ever shared anything that uh, your wife wishes you hadn't? <laughs> have you ever had anything that. Sure. Yeah. Have you had yeah. any you had to take down? That sure. You've later said, yeah, I shouldn't have shared that. That's too personal. Um, usually not too private, too personal, but maybe she thinks I'm pushing the edge sometimes. Mm. Once in a while, I'll have her read something in advance. I usually don't. Yeah. Read in advance to say, what, what, here, honey, what do you think? And she usually just says, you know, just do whatever you think. You know, it's your deal. <laughs> not yeah. mine. But once in a while, she'll say, I think you're pushing that a little bit too hard. And I'll give it some more thought. Sometimes I'll leave it. Sometimes I'll pull it. She's usually right. Yeah. But like, for example, one time I, I probably shouldn't talk about this, but no, here we please. Go. <laughs> yeah, no, please. You're all over it. I asked the question. <clears throat> I have a, I, I hate the Santa in the manger. <laughs> I just hate those paintings. I hate the dioramas. I hate Santa in the manger. It just doesn't work for me. I to... hate it with such a passion. Thank you. So I made a wonderful little picture of the Easter bunny in the garden tomb. Oh yeah, it's it's absolutely. You're right though. That is got, absolutely as valid as Santa in a manger. It is, but I posted it and got from some people I really respect, including my wife, saying, "You went a little bit too far because now I'll never see that painting mm, again." Okay. Without thinking of the Easter Bunny. So maybe the painting was a bit far. I think your imagery is right though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's the difference? Yeah, it's the same thing. Oh. <clears throat> but yeah, but I, that it was a little bit too far, or. Okay, so I have to ask a question okay. then because this is just a personal thing. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm with you. I think that I, I never understand the Santa with the manger. Mm-hmm. I also, there is a trend of people getting paintings done of children with Christ. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I have a hard time with that one too. Yeah, and, and the thing is if you imagine that in a, in a sitting for the artist, the child would be dead because the glory of Christ would have killed him without him being transfigured. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it couldn't happen. I had never thought of it that there deeply, you go. but it couldn't happen. But I don't know why I have a hard time with that one. I like the abstract paintings of Christ, you know, with general people. Mm-hmm. I think is wonderful. I mean, beautiful. But uh yeah, yeah no, I'm not I'm, a fan of those, but then again. I'm I'm with you though on the same I have a thing. photograph of that, so I don't really need a painting. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm I'm with you 100% on the Santa part. So, so you've had some that you've had to take down because of controversy. I've never taken a whole post down. I've, I've taken no, a just line edited. or a paragraph out, but I've never just, just yeah. chopped the whole thing. Have you found that you've made friends through your blog? Yes. I'm a, I'm a firm believer that um, you can have friendships through social media and things like that, through the digital world that are just as valid as real life friendships, yeah. especially as the world gets busier. So, so, so one thing that's kind of funny is somehow as, you have cited some of the things that I've done and I've cited some of the things you've done actually for our listeners. We just met tonight in person uh, first time, but we've shared some of each other's things on Facebook. Somehow some of your fans have become friends of mine. (laughs) 
which is which I think is funny. I think it's fantastic. I've publicized your stuff. I, think I know them. Hilarious. I know them by name now. So I think it's, <laughs> I think it's really neat. Tell us about the Sunday night check in. When did that start and how? A few years ago, I um, it was just a Sunday evening and there was nothing going on. I think the kids were in bed and I had my laptop open and and just put on Facebook and what what good happened today for you? And the response is overwhelming. I had like 150 people write down Mm. what happened to them that day. And I thought, you know, that response was so surprising that maybe we should institutionalize it. And I started uh, just doing it every Sunday evening at the same time. I just say, hey, what's the best single thing that happened to you today? You can't talk about sports. You can't talk about food. Yeah, you have actual rules. I have rules. rules I have rules. And uh, because you don't want people to say, woohoo, we won, we won, the Packers won, or whatever. Yeah. You don't want people saying the best thing that happened today was the mom's pot roast, which very well could be the best thing that happened that day. But that's not going to edify anybody But I want you to dig a little deeper. So if somebody puts something like that, I delete it. Yeah. And, And I say, try again, dig deeper. But it's been fascinating. We get comments from all over the world. We get sometimes really soul-bearing comments, mm-hmm. sometimes funny things. It's just a, a great way to end a Sabbath. So if if our any of you listeners are not currently following Middle-Aged Mormon Man on Facebook, I highly encourage it. And the Sunday night check-in is a ritual for me now. I often post. Sometimes I don't because I mm-hmm. nothing stands out. What I love about the Sunday night check-in is how simple it is. Because people will say... Like, you know what? I just felt an appreciation for the Savior when I took the sacrament. And they'll post that. Right. And, you know, I think sometimes we get caught up in, um, and especially, I, you know, I feel this way sometimes in, in a testimony meeting or something where people are talking about these miracles and these incredible things going on in their lives. And and sometimes you think, if, if I don't have something like that to share, I'm going to keep my mouth shut, mm-hmm. right? What I love about the Sunday night check-in is, it is so simple. I remember I did a Sunday night check-in on uh, with you, a, I don't know, maybe two months ago. I was just blown away by the way the primary children sang. And I don't even remember what the song is now, but I posted that they sang, brought tears to my eyes. It was, it was beautiful. Gethsemane. And it was... Was it Gethsemane? Oh, I think it was I Gethsemane. It was. Yeah. I'm not saying I remember all of your comments on my no, Facebook that's page, impressive. It, it was, was it was, it was, in fact, hundred percent. Now I remember <clears throat> it was Gethsemane. Yeah. What blew me away was people commenting under there's like a whole support community you've built. And I find myself doing it. You know, mm-hmm. people will say, Hey, you know, first time I went back to church since the divorce. Aren't those wonderful? Oh gosh. It yeah. gets to me every week. I haven't been to church for six months and I went back today and it's like, whoa, congratulations. And people are reaching out with love. It's, it's wonderful. It's great. And hang in there and go back next week. And I find myself doing it, yeah. you know, commenting on, Hey, way to go. Thanks for sharing this or just sharing love. And it's, it's people who haven't, uh, haven't met each other. I think it's such a wonderful thing that you do with that. Have you had to, have you ever had to block anyone? Sure. Is there anyone who's been antagonistic you've had to block? Oh, sure. Really? Yeah. On, not just on Facebook, but on the blog. I get lots of comments that never see the light of day. I think I've had almost 30,000 comments on my blog. Wow. And a lot of them I just never published. But <clears throat> one of the things that's funny is that uh, once in a while I'll have a really weird spike in blog traffic, and I'll go to look quiet, and it's because one of the anti-Mormon bulletin boards picked up on my post and are having a heyday with it. 
Wow. And it'll actually boost my number. So I, of course, go on to that anti-mummer website and say, hey, guys, thanks for all the hits. You're boosting my numbers. <laughs> Maybe not their intention. They don't like that. No, yeah, they don't like that. They're probably that. not big fans of it. Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. It's interesting to see how much that sort of brings out the woodwork. One thing I've noticed lately is people, unfortunately, retreat to corners. Hmm? You know, it's hey, here's a new position that the church has, or here's a new you know, way we're going to do things, and immediately whew, everybody run to their corners and let the bombs start flying. Right. And it's, it's a shame. What, what, what I expect, I mean, you know that people who are opposed to the church are going to do that. You know that those of us firm in the faith are going to stand by the brethren and stand by the church. What bothers me is when those firm in the faith use that as an excuse to attack those who are attacking the church. And right. sometimes I'll see that. And I, th I can't imagine the apostles getting involved in something like that or much less Christ himself. Right. You know, you bring up a memory. One of my most trafficked blog posts I ever had was a few days after uh, the church, uh, maybe it's been two years now, had the, the new policies about, um, same-sex couples and how the children yeah. have ordinance I think that was restrictions. This, was it a year ago or two maybe, years ago? Maybe a year ago. Yeah. yeah. When that came out, I didn't say anything about it on my blog. I didn't touch it. I just left it alone for a few days. Mm. And I started getting emails from people. How come you're not addressing this? How come you're not saying anything? Why are you quiet? You know, it's, well, I don't really have anything to say about it. Yeah. But I decided I did have something to say. And I told that story. It's the old... Uh, Native American story about the the boy talking to the the wise uh, the wise mm. grandfather who says in every man there's two oh yeah there's there's two wolves there's mm. the wolf of faith and the wolf of fear and he says well which one is going to win he said the one you feed yeah I love and that so story I, so I related that story and talked about it in the context of when the church issues news or rulings or anything. You can look at it and decide if you're going to fuel your doubt or if you're going to feed your faith. Yeah. And that that was one of the most well-trafficked things. I still didn't actually address the topic, yeah. but I made the point that anything and everything that comes out of Salt Lake can be, you can choose sides. You can decide if yeah. it's going to build you or if it's going to hurt you. Yeah. I've seen some of, it's interesting that one, that that issue, of course, stirred up a whole lot of, a whole lot of uh, tender feelings for a lot of people, mm -hmm. you know, and 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 I think that was was tricky for a lot of people. What what's amazing to me is sometimes just the it feels like sometimes with some people the church can't win. Mm. It's the uh, you know it's the I've got the bird behind my back. Is it alive or is it dead? Right. You know, it's just, you go ahead and you do whatever you're going to do. I'm going to find the negative in it. Right. And that makes it tricky. Well, and as you said about people retreating to their corners and getting ready to launch salvos at each other, I, yeah. I think if you wanted to define 2017 in retrospect, it was the year of disasters and hysteria. Yeah. There were disasters all over the world. There were mass shootings. There were hurricanes and hurricanes and earthquakes and just everywhere you go showing that the earth is in tumult. And then you have hysteria about everything. Yeah. And that's kind of how I'm going to look back at this year. And I think that social media has really fed that in that suddenly everyone has an opinion. 
there was a great article a couple of years ago, and I can't remember even what blog it was on, but it was called something to the effect of your opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> and people think that because they have an opinion and they can post it and share it, all of a sudden it's valid. It might have been me. And <laughs> I wrote one that basically said that you got to come to the realization that all opinions don't carry the same weight. Yeah. Oh, you know, maybe it was yours. It, it could have been yours. If the opinion is coming from Tom, that's exactly Thomas Monson, yeah. it carries more weight than if it comes from Sean. Yeah. Sorry, much. sorry, Sean. But it does carry more weight. My opinion carries no weight at all. <laughs> Even at home? Yeah, no. Especially. My, the only thing carrying weight around here are my shoes. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but no, you're right. And I, actually, it must have been your blog because that's exactly what it said um, was that, look, you've got to earn the right for your opinion to really matter. You know, I mean, it's, it's not like everything you read is just the same. Mm -hmm. um, is there a blog post you're most proud of? Like, is there one that you think, yeah, I really nailed it on that one. Uh, one that pops in my head. I, I, it was a funny one, but it was a serious one. It was about, um, a so-called after death experience when I fell off, the, supposedly fell off the roof of my house and had a, an, a, a near death experience and I went to heaven Oh yeah. yeah, you might have to go back and look that yeah, one. Yeah, I'll have to but check that I, out. I was pretty proud of that one. Yeah, I don't know. They they um they all kind of start blurring into each other after some. Do you ever find that you'll write one and you'll think, "Boy, I nailed it on this one," and then it maybe doesn't get a response, and then another one you kind of go, "Yeah, that's good enough. I'll put it out there," and it blows up. Oh, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly how it happens. I'll stew and sweat and research and have one that I have just dead to rights, and I think it's fabulous and important. And it crickets. Yeah. And then I'll write something in a hurry on a Sunday morning because I woke up late and slap it up there. <laughs> and people will say it's life changing and there'll be a thread of a hundred plus comments. And I just can't figure it out. I will tell you that is stand up for me. <clears throat> I'll write, and it's because I have such a weird sense of humor. I'll write a joke that I will go, this is going to murder. And then I get on stage and nobody laughs. Right. And yet I have a few jokes that I've been doing for 20 years that <laughs> are such throwaways that I don't find remotely amusing and they kill. They work every time. Yeah. And you kind of yeah. go, hmm, is it me? Maybe it's them. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if the funny thing is though, if I could figure out which ones work, I don't think it would change my blog at all because I honestly don't write based on what I think the response is going to be. Mm. I'm not looking for clicks. I'm not looking for a response. I'm looking to put out there what I want to put out there. And if they want to yeah. follow along, fine. What's the longest you've gone in the last seven years without writing on the blog? A week. Wow. That's amazing, Brad. That is like, it's so, so one of the things that's interesting is, you know, all, all people go up and down in life. We all have our moments where it's, everything's great. And then moments where it's like, uh, not so good with the podcast. For me, it's super easy because I have a guest every week, right? How I'm feeling doesn't really matter because the guest is you know, more important. How do you get when you're feeling down, you're going through a trial of faith, whatever, how do you still write? Or is that what you're writing about? Sometimes that's what I'm writing about. If yeah. I have a struggle, I'm not real keen on sharing my, my serious struggles with other people because I don't want to burden them with the things that I burden with. Yeah. But I think that's great. But I do um, put out there. I mean, some people know, some people can actually pick it up and you know, mm. you're doing okay and things like that. Yeah. But over the years, you know, life changes a lot in seven years. I've went from having a bunch of kids at home to having in-laws and grandkids and yeah. work ebb and flow and, and all those kinds of things. Um, 
you just try to be as honest as you can and, and write about what interests you. And, and sometimes I write specifically because I feel I'm supposed to write something. Yeah. And I, I do believe that the Lord has a hand sometimes in the things I'm writing. And I usually, it usually proves out pretty quickly by somebody responding to me and saying, thank you. See, and I consider you one of the kind of, I mean, when, when you started blogging seven years ago, blogging was still very young. You know, I mean, it was still, it was still cool. It was still, it no, is still it's cool. Not so much. No, now it's cool still. It's really cool. Um, now vlogging. Yes. Have you thought about vlogging, video logging? Well, I have a face for typing. <laughs> you know, the expression, a face for radio. Yeah, 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 I have a face for podcasts, so. No, We're, honestly, the, the vlogging would be too much work. One of the, the beautiful things for me about writing a blog is that, you know, for example, Sunday morning or Saturday night, what should I write about for tomorrow's Sunday post? And I'll write it, and then I'll put it up, and I'll go to church and have my day, and I don't think anything more of it. Yeah. Whereas if I'm writing something long form or doing a video or something, it becomes prohibitive to do very much. I couldn't be near as prolific as I am if it was something like a video log or even a podcast. Yeah. Just because. But a work. podcast is quick. I mean, we sit yeah. down, we do it, you know, <clears throat> Real it takes me, it takes me about an hour and a half to get everything else done and out. Right. Whereas, you know, we're doing some video production now and holy cow, that takes a long time. That's a little bit rougher. And what are you producing? So we've got a channel now called Those Mormons, and we've done two comedy videos so far. I'll have to show you after one okay. of them because I think channel. they're I'm pretty funny. I'm giving you a plug here. Come on. Yeah. yeah, Those Mormons is the YouTube channel. So, <clears throat> okay. Yeah, I think I think I talked about it a little bit on one episode, but yeah, Those Mormons. So, but it is long. It's definitely long format. So you have a rhythm now. Kind of, it's it's fairly natural, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's pretty easy for you to jump into it. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I, I've been blessed with the ability to not have to struggle to find topics. You know, some people think, you've written 1,100 posts. How do you come up with ideas? That's never been an issue for me. For me, the problem is I have an idea, but I'm too lazy to want to tackle that idea. Uh, it's like, yeah, I could write that, but it'd be 3,000 words. I think I'll think of something easier. Yeah. yeah. Have any of your kids ever said, hey, Dad, please <laughs> leave me out? Well, for the first four years, it was anonymous, so they didn't have any yeah. say. No, they've all been really supportive. I've, I'm careful not to share those kinds of details. Once in a while, they'll go, Dad, but not, not yeah. to the point where they're mad at me or humiliated. Yeah, I have pretty good kids, so it's not there's not sure. a whole lot of skeletons to drag out to humiliate them with. Yeah, yeah. For our listeners, and and I really recommend that you go check out the uh, the middle aged Mormon man um, blog. It's phenomenal. And I was saying this to you earlier before we started recording, you have a very human approach to things. You're very approachable. And I think that you kind of bridge that gap. Sometimes I think people, we, we tend to feel like, um, you know, we need to be perfect or we get to church and we assume that other people are perfect, especially the bishop. I mean, did your blog change while you were a bishop? No, you released first. Right. But as yeah. a bishop, I had no problem standing up and saying, you know, I've got a real bad caffeine addiction. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't. The challenges I gave to people in the word very much uh, mirrored the challenges that I had. Yeah. And so that's always been something. I, I, I just, that's what I love about your blog is it's very real. It's very down to earth. And I think that we could benefit as members of the church from seeing more of that in sacrament meeting, in our interactions with each other, that we maybe have a tendency to put on, uh, that we have a tendency to put on our perfect face, mm -hmm. which the church is there to heal us. 
And I think your blog is very healing. Like it's, it really brings this nice human element to it. That's very kind. I appreciate one, it. one of the reasons that I asked Brad to come on is here we are into New Year. This is a New Year's Day episode. Cool. So, yeah. So it'll be, it's going to be interesting to see. Normally we have like a hundred listeners in the first hour when we release at six o'clock in the morning. I get the feeling on New Year's Day, we're not going to have <laughs> the hundreds of people very first thing in the morning, but uh, that'll be interesting to see. But I wanted to pick your brain on a few things that happened, kind of a year in review type of a thing, because you, one of the things I admire about your blog is you do have an opinion on things and you're not afraid to express it, but you express it in such an approachable <clears throat> way. So I wanted to kind of go over some of the big things that happened in in 2017, uh, especially to get kind of your, your thoughts on it. One of the things that was interesting was that Donald Trump became president this year, which has been very divisive among members of the church. It's very interesting to see the way Utah voted. There were a lot of, there are a lot of people who really support the president. A lot of people who are very opposed to him. There are some who take it as a personal affront when members of the church are supportive of him. I find that kind of uh, just fascinating. But uh, one of the things that seemed to cause a lot of controversy was the Mormon Tabernacle choir performed at the inauguration. Did you see some of that backlash from people saying they should have pulled out? Yeah, I was surprised by that. You know, it's um, it's an honor for the choir to perform there, and they, yeah. they bring a sense of dignity to it, no matter who is being sworn in. So I don't get it. Yeah, they sounded beautiful, too. I mean, yes. they... And then one other Donald Trump thing, people seemed really upset. He came to Utah, he toured Welfare Square, said some beautiful things about the church. And if you look through the history of the church, the church has always opened its doors to leaders, leaders from around the world. The church doesn't right. take political stances on things, but they toured through Welfare Square. Did you get to see some of that? Yeah, I did. It's, it's always funny when you watch leaders go through or, or journalists go through and they come out going... Holy smoke. People shouldn't be upset that the president toured welfare square. They they should be upset that the entire House of Representatives and the Senate haven't toured it because they could all learn something. I I always find it interesting. I listen to a lot of political political podcasts and read political blogs and whatnot. And sometimes I have to step out when I see people panicked about the need for government to step into people's lives to help save them, I have to step outside the church and realize not everybody knows about what the church does. We really mm-hmm. do. We have this safety net, right? Right. I mean, you saw it as a bishop, right? You know. Um, well, and we see it as you mentioned when we were talking earlier about the disaster relief. Yeah. You know, who's the first people with the water and the trucks to show up? It's it's not FEMA. Yeah. It's the LDS Church. They're geared up and ready to go. There were a couple of interesting quotes that came up this year from. <clears throat> local leaders where there were all these catastrophes, which yes, it seems like, and I don't know if it's just that it's more publicized, boy, did it seem like there were a lot of natural disasters, Mm -hmm. which I always kind of, I always kind of find it interesting because I'll sit and I'll go, you know, there are a couple of books that talk about this happening (laughs) in these times that there would be, and in diverse places, you know, in places you don't expect. And now all of a sudden we're seeing flooding and we're seeing earthquakes and whatever in in different places but helping hands is what they call the the relief effort mm-hmm. and it's turned into quite a big thing one of the things i noted 
President Eyring went to Jacksonville and Puerto Rico after the storms. Uh, M. Russell Ballard and President Nukdorf were in Houston, Elder Rasband in Northern California. But also, one of the images I saw was the churches being used for a place for the refugees, for people who were displaced by it. Right. What do you think that does for the church? I think it's great. I think it, you know, there's been a debate, and I haven't heard it as much lately, but there's always this constant debate, are Mormons even Christian? Well, by their fruits you shall know them. Mm. You want to see Christian behavior, go to disaster zone and watch the the Mormon hordes in their yellow shirts clear a neighborhood of debris in an hour. <laughs> they're like they're like an army of ants that just attack yeah. and and take care of things. And it's it's the gospel in action, right? It's the it's the modern day equivalent of going to the Sweetwater River and carrying people through the frozen river. Mm, that's a beautiful analogy of that. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it in the terms of it's a great way to show our Christianity. I mean, because it is, that is a purely Christian loving act to help somebody out in their lowest time. Well, how does Christ define us disciples? Feed the hungry, clothe the naked. Yeah. I mean, that's flood relief, right? That's disaster relief. I mean, that's exactly what it is. What was your take then taking that another step on light the world this year? The world? On Light the World, the Light, Light the, world the World campaign. You know, I thought it was great in that it gave people a reminder to do good things and kind of held their hands to find ways to do something good every day. Yeah. What would be fabulous is if in January people kept doing good things. Yeah. If January wasn't, hey, turn out the lights, the electric bills <laughs> going right. up. That's <laughs> right. Hey, we're not on solar here yeah. yet. Yeah. We, Time to turn out the yeah, lights. Yeah. I don't want to see a hashtag in January that says, yeah, we yeah. lit the world. Yeah. We lit the world. We're done now. Yeah. You're welcome, world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought it was really cool. I loved Light the World because it gave people sort of a framework without telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, we were able to find just little things sometimes, sometimes bigger things, sometimes little things. But I thought that was really neat. And there is, again, an inherent Christianity. There was nothing specifically Mormon about Light the World. Right. I mean, it was Christ-focused. Well, there was a couple weeks ago, and this is really a weird thing. One of the Sundays two weeks ago was your, put your favorite scripture. Mm, and, yeah. And I wasn't aware of that, but my blog post that day was talking about my favorite scripture. And I didn't know that there was a connection. (laughs) I hadn't looked at it. So it was just a coincidence, if you believe in coincidences. Yeah. Yeah. What is your favorite scripture? Uh, It's uh, Helaman 3, 1921. It's about, read my blog post. Middle-aged Mormon man, my favorite scripture in a little post. See, that's a good way to get people. That's a marketing guy. It's a plug. Right there. That was a marketing guy. That's a tease right there. Go look it up. Yeah. 2017, it was, it, I think it's, it's interesting. There was a lot of tumult. One of the things that I found so awesome, um, not awesome that it happened, but awesome in the response was that we actually had a 70, a general authority who was released and excommunicated. And what I was so touched by, first of all, there was a lot of pile on by people who were not fans of the church. But one of the things I was really touched by was how the church handled it with so much love and so much dignity, you were a bishop for years. Mm-hmm. You have been through the, you know, you've helped people through the system. I have never been excommunicated, nor have I been a bishop, nor have I been involved in anything to do with it. When I was a kid, I always saw excommunication as sort of, you blew it, get out of here. Mm-hmm. 
And maybe if you fight your way back, maybe you get to come back. But I gained a whole new understanding. I actually spent a lot of time studying excommunication when this happened. James Hamula, who, um, anyway, that was in August. He was released and excommunicated. What, what should people understand about excommunication? This isn't a plug, but I did write a post a couple years ago called Why I Love Disciplinary Councils. Why I Love Disciplinary Councils. Okay, I'm boy, reading that. Boy, did I get some blowback on that one. Really? Yeah. Um, people who'd had less than stellar experiences in it. But but what it is, the disciplinary council's purpose is to help someone come unto Christ, mm. which is the same purpose of the church, right? It's the same mission. Yeah. Problem is, sometimes people get themselves in a situation where they need to step back and fix some things before they can come into Christ. Mm. And that's the purpose of the disciplinary council. It's done out of love. It's done out of hope. It's done out of a desire to help someone restore their their privileges and their blessings and their salvation yeah. and and keep moving forward. And some of those councils in my life have some been the most spiritual experiences I've ever witnessed. Gosh, that's awesome. And so anybody that thinks that it's punitive has probably never sat through one with a soft heart. Yeah. And I've never sat through one at all. I always thought them as something punitive. Mm -hmm. But this year, I really, when that happened, I really thought, well, you know what? I don't know what this means. Yeah. So I should really study it. And I, I spent some time really studying excommunication. It is. It's a tremendous amount of love. And some of the testimonies I read of people who have been through it saying, it was one of the most spiritual things. It was a relief. Yes. Like they've been carrying this burden. It's a gift. Yeah. And the excommunication lifted it and allowed them to, to start on that path back. And about Elder Hemuel, another thing that I didn't see mentioned very much, I'm proud of the church for doing it. Because yeah. in this world that loves to hide mm -hmm. things, it would have been really easy for the church to just look away you know, we don't want the bad PR of excommunicating a 70. Let's yeah. just see what we can do behind the scenes. I mean, if anything, you read the news the last couple months, there's way too much stuff that happens in secret. Yeah, for sure. And so for the church to be willing to say, you know what, this is one of our leaders and we're going to help him um, yeah. step back and recover. Um, more power to him. I think it's great. When I watch government, it's interesting because when – Somebody has a problem and has to step down. There's an immediate pile on for gain. Mm -hmm. and it's one of the things I love is that you're not going to see any general authorities going, oh, I always wondered about that guy. Or I, yeah. I knew this was going to happen. <clears throat> and, you know, there's never, there's never that. There was a tremendous amount of love and respect and certainly no details yeah. because it's private. It has nothing to do yeah. with anyone else. There's no elder in the fifth quorum of 70 saying, hey, there's a spot open. <laughs> there's a spot open and I'm going to run for it. Here's why I'm the man. Yeah. That's one thing that I just love about the church is the lack of politics at the top. Mm -hmm. You know, that it's, it's just amazing men and women who, who get out there and, and serve. What, uh, what was your take on conference this year? I For love October? conference. Every conference. I love conference. It, uh, it's a, a battery recharger for me, Yeah, you know, just because you get, you get more current stuff, you get things to focus on. Um, Everyone has its own tone. It has its own, sometimes a theme yeah. emerges, but I just love it. And I take uh, crazy notes just because that's how mm. I retain things. I make it a real point in conference to take notes of what's being said, but more importantly, take notes about what I'm thinking. Yeah. 
and then I uh, use that to challenge myself for the next six months. What's your take on uh, on the consolidation of now priesthood session every other every other time? <clears throat> Personally, I'm sad. Yeah, because I feel like I'm losing half of the priesthood instruction. Yeah, um, I'm happy for those who are thrilled that the uh, the sisters have been brought into the more traditional mold of the conference night. That's yeah. great. I'm, I'm I think that's fine. I just feel like half is not as good as whole. Yeah, but. Then again, I don't know if we're following the council that's given the whole. Maybe we're only ready for half. So, yeah. so we'll see how it plays out. I, I'm with you. I, of course, support the brethren and, and support the whole thing uh, of this decision. But priesthood session is my favorite. I love priesthood session. I think about it being with my dad, with my own sons. You know, there's a lot of... I don't know. It's a special meeting. So it is, but I do agree with you though, that, you know, there were quite a few sisters who said, you know, we've kind of felt like we were on the outskirt of conference weekend. You know, we were the pre-show. Right. And now, and for that, I think it's wonderful. Right. I think it's really neat. I agree. Interesting. Elder Hale's passing away this year. Very sad. Yeah. You know, these brethren, we love them and we've watched them our entire lives. Mm -hmm. You know, as long as I can remember, he's always been there and he's been old as long as I can remember. <laughs> but, uh, but then at the same time you're rooting for him and you're happy that they were able to move on and glad that we had them as long as we did. One of the great shows of humanity, I thought one of the most beautiful, um, uh, I, I thought it was really interesting that, uh, Russell M. Nelson was not there for the second hour because he had gone to be with Elder Hales. When Elder Hales passed, I guess they had gotten word that uh, that he was going to pass, and Elder Nelson was sent to be by his side. I just thought I don't know what it was that touched me so much about that that it was there's sort of this message to me that came through of the one, you know, what shepherd doesn't leave the ninety nine and go after the mm-hmm. one, you know, there would be for me there'd be this everybody this is conference. You know, we're already down, Apostle. Yeah, we'll be by and at five. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, hey, you you all need to stay here. But the fact that they excused him to go be with Elder Hales as he passed, I don't know. There was something beautiful about that. Well, it also shows that the higher up the hierarchy you get, the you're still a servant by nature. Yeah. You're a minister Yeah, more than an administrator. How much did you feel the lack of having President Monson there? You know, it, uh, it it's always sad to not have him there. Um, yeah. It brings back memories of back when I was much younger and President Hinckley was busy running everything for President Kimball. Yeah. You know, and for quite a while he wasn't in the limelight and the counselors kind of ran everything. See, when I was younger, I remember that with President Benson. <clears throat> yeah. The President Benson went through a, a, a time quite a while. Right. Where he was, he was struggling. It's hard for me because... I don't remember conference without President Monson. Right. He just has that smile and that wave and that way of talking that, you know, I, I just personally miss it. Yeah. Have you, it makes me sad that there are people who want to take President Monson being ill um, and not being in conference as C. He must not be a prophet now. Right. Have you seen any of that? You get a lot of feedback from people. Um, no, I haven't seen much of that. Yeah. I did see people 
um, rooting that President Packer would die before President Monson. Really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I read that and received that a couple of times because they were so adamant again, adamantly against President Packer and some of his stands on things that they Isn't disagreed that sad? with. Yeah, it's really sad. It's it's amazing how much we feel like we I think that the social attitudes generally we feel like we've shaped them like we've somehow created our society and so we should be able to do that with the church too right and that's just not the way that it works sorry right, right. <laughs> you're you're not in the right church for that and I also see something tragic now as I was listening to a podcast a while back with some millennials and the most recent statistics showed that the conference watching or attending has dropped off like by 20% for mm. the millennial age generation yeah. as to what it was when the previous generation was that age. They just aren't paying attention to the brethren as much as they used to. And that's worrisome. It's interesting to me. One, one of the things I love is that the church this year really stepped up with the face to face. Now I work in young men's and so I see these a lot just this year, what was fun is they had President Eyring do one with President uh, with Elder Holland, which I thought was awesome. I mean, how neat is that? Um, Elder Rasband did one, Sister Oscarson. But then also they did face-to-face with Lindsey Sterling, you mm-hmm. know, the violinist. David Archuleta with the piano guys, with Studio C. So I see the church really pivoting and saying, okay, we might not be able to reach you through conference. Traditionally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so we're going to have the face-to-face, or we're going to have the Mormon channel, or we're going to have these other things. And so I think the church has done a tremendous job of reacting. You know, and that's one of the things that I've seen as a trend. Right. You kind of know it's the same thing? Yeah, they're putting more options out there, especially when uh, social media, you know, they've got a presence on every kind of platform. Yeah. And that's great, but you still come down to the same age-old problem, is that the feast is on the table. Yeah. If they want to come partake of it. Mm. That's never changed. It's just they're providing different ways to feed the feast, but people still have to come partake. And I hope they're reaching new people this way. Well, 2017 was certainly an interesting year, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, as I was thinking back at it, I was thinking from a cultural standpoint, I can't decide if it should be 2017, the year women lost their tweezers, or 2017, (laughs) the year men lost their razors. Because hear that women lost their tweezers, men lost their razors. Yeah, because all the guys are walking around yeah. with lumberjack beards, and the girls have bushy eyebrows. <laughs> it took me a minute to realize what you were talking about with that. <laughs> yeah, it goes from church to look stuff at it. To, to fashion trends. Yeah, we're what, all over what, the map. what do you see for the church in 2018? Where do you see things going next year? I don't know. My wish would be that people would stop worrying so much about the. Uh, social ramifications and the political ramifications and focus more on what the doctrinal and Mm. personal applications are. Yeah. Because that's what the church is for. It's about to help us heal and get better and stuff. It's not about creating separatist movements and trying to force agendas. Yeah. Never has been. I, I, I think that the building is going to get greater and more spacious. I think that the iron rod will be just as solid. And I think that the mist of darkness is going to have fewer and fewer people. I think there's going to be a lot of people holding on to the rod 
I think there are going to be a lot of people being swept away and a lot of people in the great and spacious building. But I think more than ever, we need to hold on to the iron rod. One of the things that I love is that I can, you know, I travel, like I said, every week. I used to stay at Marriott because that meant I didn't have to bring my own Book of Mormon. (laughs) (laughs) Now I've got the Book of Mormon anywhere I want it. Right. And so while there are more challenges than ever, I also think there are more resources than ever. I think there's, there's a lot to that. So that's true. Well, this was a great discussion, Brad. We're already at an hour. Seriously. <laughs> it goes by so fast. Yeah. So thank you for coming in. I want to encourage all of our listeners to go check out middle Age modern man. It's just Mormon. Sorry. What did I say? Modern Mormon, middle Age Mormon man. I was looking at something while talking. I should never do that. I cannot do one thing. Well, I should never try <laughs> to do two middle aged Mormon man. Dot com. com or follow you on Facebook is a great way to see your posts as well. It is. And, and as far as Facebook versus the blog, the blog is school. Facebook is recess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a lot of chaos and craziness and some wonderful yeah. friends and associates on Facebook. The blog's more serious business. Yeah. Go to the blog, go to the blog and check it out. It's great. Where'd you get the image for the blog? I just found a handcart guy and tweaked it. <laughs> Yeah. Is that supposed to be you? No, <laughs> but I kind of like the whole idea, yeah. you know, this middle-aged guy dragging a handcart across a river. You yeah. know, we all kind of feel that way sometimes. I like it. I like it. Well, as a middle-aged man myself, I, I certainly can relate. <laughs> so thank you for all you do. And, uh, there are a lot of blog posts to go back and get caught up on, but our, our, our listeners should check it out. And if you really want to be uplifted on Sunday night, check out the Sunday night check-in. And people can follow you on Facebook for that. Right. That's under my Facebook personal pay, uh, account, Bradley McBride. So go to Bradley McBride. On Facebook. On Facebook and check it out. And that Sunday night check-in is awesome. And it will lift your spirits and it will just make you feel good. There's no way not to feel good after the Sunday night check-in. So we're going to wrap things up with the question that I ask all of our guests. Oh, no. I know. I didn't prepare you. No, with this. you didn't. I, I try to never prepare my guests for this. Is there a pause button? Great for what No, for what comes. Uh, oh, without a net. Here yes. we go. All right. So the question is, what was the name of the brother of the prophet from Genesis? No, I'm kidding. Um, the question is very simple, which is, what does being a member of the church mean to you? Being a member of the church means that I belong to the organization that has the knowledge, the power, and the authority to make my life better than it would be and grant me an opportunity for eternal progression with my family. Hmm. Boy, that's pure gospel. I love that. Off the cuff, sorry. Off the cuff, pure gospel. (laughs) Brad, that was awesome. You are a great credit to our religion. You're one who stands and and waves that title of liberty. And I would really recommend all of our, our listeners to go check it out because it's really uplifting. And you'll have moments that you'll laugh. You'll have moments that you get a little bit emotional. Sometimes a few of yours have been tearjerkers. And I appreciate that as well. But it's like I said, it's all very human and very validating. And it just makes me feel like I'm not alone. Uh, That's what your blog does for me. And I appreciate that. Thank you. Those are very kind words. And I appreciate having an opportunity to meet you to to meet a kindred spirit. Yeah, it's really fun. We're very much on the same path. Yeah, I do. I, I just do mine with a little bit of a different format because trying to write, I don't know, my ADD kicks in and there's no chance. So, 
the blog is Middle Aged Mormon Man, Facebook, Bradley McBride uh, for the Sunday night check in. And we will continue to follow you. Thanks so much, Brad. Thanks for having me. My special thanks to Brad McBride. What an amazing guy. I had such a good time hanging out with Brad. Uh, we find that we are very kindred spirits. We look at a lot of things the same way, and I just admire him so much, and I'm grateful he has become a friend. So again, thank you, Brad. Uh, this week in my latter-day life, as I mentioned at the top of the show, and by the way, it has gotten louder. We're Literally, our hotel is right in the middle of Times Square, and all the performers outside. We, we just started hearing a lot of music and all kinds of things going on. So again, my apologies if it gets loud, but uh, what a blessing it is to be here in New York. I'm here with my wife and with uh, two of my sons, and we've never done New Year's Eve in New York. So we decided it would be a lot of fun and a little bit crazy. Little did we know when we booked this that uh, this was going to be the coldest New Year's in recent record. I think they said it's either the second or third coldest of all time. And let me tell you, it feels it. It is so very cold, but uh, we've had a wonderful time. We've gotten to do some really neat things while we're here in the city. And this morning we, we decided to go to church. And in New York City, there's uh, right here in Manhattan, where the temple is, there's also a chapel. So we went to church at the chapel that is connected to the temple. And church, uh, we decided to go to the 11 o'clock block so we could sleep in a little bit. We were out late last night. And I underestimated how long it was going to take us to get there. We thought we were going to be able to get uh, an Uber from uh, the hotel that they'd be able to pull in. Well, they had already set up the police barricades. And if you didn't know, I didn't know this before tonight, but the police actually barricade off all of Times Square and only a certain number of people get allowed in. Either have to after that, you either have to be staying at a hotel nearby, or you have to have dinner reservations. It's the only way in. And so we had to walk a couple blocks, and it was nine degrees outside, and we were freezing. and And then I called an Uber, and he canceled. And then I called another one, and all of a sudden it was uh, like five minutes to eleven. And according to the map I was looking at, it was going to take us 20 minutes because of traffic to get to the chapel. And there was just no way. And I looked at my wife and I said, you know what, we tried. And my wife said, well, maybe we can still make it. Who knows? Let's just try. And the, the Uber driver was six or seven minutes away and all of a sudden canceled. And then another one came up and he was one minute away. And it was like, while we were trying to decide if we should just give up or walk back over to the hotel, uh, this guy pulled up. So we piled into the car and I just kept praying, saying, Heavenly Father, I'm so sorry that we were running so late today and nothing seemed to be working right. And I knew we were going to miss the sacrament. It was going to be quarter after or 20 after by the time we got there. And he took a completely different road than what Google Maps showed me we should be taking. And all of a sudden we pulled up and we were there. And I looked at the clock and it was four minutes after 11. How this happened, I still don't know. It was just a massive blessing to us. And so we hurried and rushed inside and uh, 
we got in just before the sacrament. In fact, when we walked in, they were singing the opening hymn, and we took our seats, and we were able to sit in peace and take the sacrament. And the spirit there was just incredible. It's such a neat ward, a very diverse ward. A lot of different people there dressed differently. There were a lot of people in jeans today, people maybe traveling. Um, there were a lot of people who, according to the, the member of the bishopric who was presiding, um, a lot of people that weren't from the ward who were there, including us. And then the member of the bishopric stood up after the sacrament and did the most amazing thing. He said, we're going to do a very different kind of a sacrament meeting. And he said, we are going to sing hymns all the way through sacrament. And the way that it worked was basically almost like a fast and testimony meeting. But rather than getting up, anyone could get up. But rather than bearing your testimony, you got up and requested a hymn or said, here's what hymn we're going to sing next. And we would sing two verses of it, and you could choose the verses, the first, and then you could choose first and fourth, or first and second, whatever you wanted to do. And then you were to testify and explain why you love that hymn. And immediately, a couple of people got up, and I know we started with all creatures of our Lord and King, and the Spirit just came in so strong. It was incredible, and uh, really powerful. And we sang several hymns that were just beautiful. And the spirit was overwhelming. Uh, I think that all of us got teary-eyed. I have to say it may have been my favorite sacrament meeting ever. As these people stood up and testified, there were a couple of hymns I had never even heard before that we sang. As people testified as to why they loved these hymns so much. But the real blessing to me was just that we made it. And we got there. And I was ready to give up, and I'm grateful I didn't. And it's really because my wife said, let's give it a shot. And the one thing I learned about it, and the thing I hope to apply most for 2018, is the message that if we will try our best, even when we fall incredibly short, that the Lord will make up the difference, especially when we have a righteous desire. Our desire today was to go and to worship the Lord and to take the sacrament. That was a righteous desire that we had, and we did our best today. And we fell so short, but somehow, and I still do not know how this happened, we made it, and made it to one of the best sacrament meetings I've ever attended. And I'm just so grateful, and I'm so grateful for all of you, and I would just uh, share that with you and testify to you that if you will do your best, he will make up the difference. And uh, that's a real gospel principle. And I'm just grateful for it. The trip has been wonderful, but I'll also be looking forward to getting back home. There's, uh, there's no place like home. And I love people who call New York home. It's a different place. Man, it's an incredible place. But uh, not my speed to live here, maybe. <laughs> but uh, what, a, what a great place to visit. So that's all we've got for the show this week. Remember, uh, I can be reached for any reason at Sean Rapier. Um, it's Sean at latterdaylives.com is my email address. And uh, you can check us out at uh, www.latterdaylives.com. All the episodes are available for streaming. And of course, we are available on uh, Apple iTunes, um, as well as on Google Play Music, Stitcher, uh, TuneIn, Player FM, pretty much anywhere you would get a podcast. And if you want to follow us on social media, we try to post as much as we can on uh, Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. And if you just search Latter-day Lives, we will come up. So my friends, Happy New Year. 
Let's make it the best year possible. I cannot thank you enough for your support. This week and every week, I'll just ask you if you enjoy the show, if you could share it with someone, that's the best thing you can do for us. And if you get a chance, go leave us a five-star review. It means the world to us. We come up much more easily in searches. And especially my one request this year is if there are guests you think would be interesting, please email me their names or how we can get in contact or have them email me. We'd love to have them on the show. So that's pretty much it. Happy New Year. Hope you had a safe and wonderful one. Looking forward to great things for 2018. And until then, remember as always, there is a great big beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening.